Hello, everyone. I'm Comron. And I'm Billy. Welcome to the Horse Fraud Podcast, seven times endorsed by the Kerrville Enforcers. <laughs> Today, we will be discussing Book One, Chapter Four of Gardens of the Moon, a novel in the Malazan, Malazan Book of the Fallen. <laughs> This podcast series is intended to be a companion and to reading or listening to the books set in the Malazan universe. This is not a book review and it's not intended to be a replacement to reading books. Know that we both think this series is the best story ever written and that we will not be providing literary critique. We will be covering the events of the books in a linear fashion. There will be spoilers for those that have not read the books. We will try not to spoil anything prior to us covering that portion of the respective book. Now, a quick warning. Uh, today's episode will contain some descriptions of violence, and it's not really recommended for younger children. Chapter 4. Still 1163 Burns Sleep. The chapter begins in Tattersale's quarters. Quick Ben, Kalam, and Fiddler are also present. Tattersale and Whiskey Jack are talking. She glares at Whiskey Jack and tells him Herlock is insane. Herlock is damaging his warren by chewing holes in the boundaries of the warren and is tasting the chaos that lies between the warrens. Mm. It's making him more powerful and more dangerous. Quick Ben explains that, of course, Herlock is crazy. He has a puppet <laughs> for a body. Of course, that's <laughs> twisted him. I did. We find out that Herlock is supposed to be watching their backs by following a trail to see which entities are involved in the situation they find themselves in. The goal is to find out who in the Empire wants them all dead. Herlock's actions are extremely risky, but whatever he is doing is necessary for the time being. He's bypassing the traditional methods of entering and traversing warrens since there are safeguards and tripwires in place to alert the rulers of these warrens of any unwelcome presence. And this kind of gives us a little structure to the nature of these warrens. They have boundaries and outside of them lies chaos. I've mentioned it. It kind of looks like a vascular structure. Yes. And by chewing holes in the walls of his warren and then penetrating other warrens in a similar fashion, he's exposing them all to danger by weakening the, the very structure of their boundaries. Mm, crazy. Quick Ben has an expletive invoking a god. <laughs> Fainer's tail, lady. He's got the body of a puppet when he's explaining that he's going crazy because he's a puppet. Right. Now, Fainer is the god known as the boar of war or the boar of summer. And he's quite right. popular among the ranks of the Malazan military, thus Quick Ben's invocation of the name. We'll talk more in depth about him later. Yes, we will. <laughs> Tattersail is insistent that the person they are looking for behind this entire situation is Tashrin, but Quick Ben wants more information. Specifically, how many agents is he using? What are the details of the plan? What in Hood's name is the plan? <laughs> is everything on Lacine's orders? Is Tashrin eyeing the throne for himself? That this kind of reminds me of myself when i d right. get on my j jump to conclusions matt and i'm just <laughs> oh, <laughs> looking at it. all the variable <laughs> outcomes that could come of a situation getting anxious about something yes <laughs> oh i do the same thing i love it it's it, it's uh, it's again part of the things that makes them so real is these people say things that we think you know it's like they, they think like real people think mm-hmm and you're getting a real good insight into Quick Ben's mind right there. I love he's that, the man. he's a planner, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, he is. Plans within plans on that fella. <laughs> Tattersail gets Quick Ben's point and wants to know what the bridge burners are planning and if they are counting on her help. No one says anything and they don't even display any clues in their expressions. Tattersail thinks that Tatron probably murdered Acaronis, Nightchill, and Tattersail's cadre. He also knew the tunnels would collapse on the bridge burners. 
he may also have decided the second army was a threat that needed to be culled. She asserts that she won't help the bridge burners unless she knows what they're planning. They aren't willing to tell her everything since she feels they would just desert if all they cared about was their survival. It is revealed again that Dujek is popular enough to attempt to take the throne. Tattersail is afraid she has become part of a conspiracy to do just that, to help in a large-scale mutiny. At this point, this group is looking for revenge, and for them, the evidence leads to Tayshren. Quick Ben says attempting to take on Tayshren directly is equal to suicide. They will attempt to, quote, cut away Tayshren's support carefully, with precision, then we arrange his fall from grace, end quote. <laughs> and this is assuming the Empress is not involved. Right. The Bridgeburners offer Tattersail a way out, so she is not further involved. Quickban tells Tattersail to leave Tayshren to him in Kalam. Tattersail makes a remark to Kalam, you were a claw once, weren't you? He just shrugs at her and she says, I thought no one could leave, alive. <laughs> He right. just shrugs again. It's a very interesting fact, you know, and I love that. I love, I'm like you. It's like, it is, I, I think that the two, I think we have like three or four main people that we just dearly love. I know Kalam is one of your personal favorites. I, I, I'm a Kalam guy too, but it's, I love quick men. And that's a, that's a, that's a marriage. Those guys are a couple. I mean, kind of, you know, and I love both those guys together. Again, another bros for life. Yes. <laughs> We're going to coin that. The bros for life. We need a more fantasy sounding (laughs) version of that. We have to find out the we have to find out the 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 Malazan version of hetero life mates. (laughs) Fiddler growls and stands up, then starts pacing nervously. No one pays any attention to him. Whiskey Jack asks Tattersail to stay with us in this sorceress. Quick Ben doesn't usually foul things up too badly. Whiskey Jack adds that he's not completely convinced either, but he's learned to trust Quig Ben. Tattersail can take that for whatever it's worth. Tattersail says that the bridge burners will be headed to their next assignment in Darujistan and that she won't be able to contact them should the situation go sideways. Quick Ben says that any attempt to communicate with the bridge burners would more than likely be intercepted by Tatrin and she should use Hairlock to contact them. Whiskey Jack brings the conversation back to Hairlock. He asks Tattersail whether she trusts him. She says no. He falls silent and his impassive expression falls away, revealing a war of emotions underneath. Tattersail thinks to herself that he keeps himself bottled up, but the pressure is building internally. She also wonders what will happen when it all breaks loose inside of him. As he is sitting there, Quickban and Kalam are watching him. Tattersail notes that Fiddler is the only person moving in the room. He is pacing back and forth, and she notes that his uniform is still covered in the stains from the tunnels. Blood covers the front of his tunic as if someone has died in his arms. His face has blisters under his beard. That right there is pretty rough. It is. The blood on the front of his tunic, I wonder who that was. I mean, it's not yeah. somebody we know, but it kind of tells you a lot about him. It does. It really does. And it's, that's an, you know, it's one of these things on the reread that I hadn't paid that much attention to. That's one thing I've enjoyed so much about rereading with you is these details that I kind of sometimes like the blisters. I mean, he's still at, he also hadn't even received any healing. It seems like he's just let the heal up natural. Right. And these, right. these people have access to not doing that, but he's going to take it. You know, I think they're probably still in shock. Yeah. You know, from pale 1300 people died. Right. Yeah. And yeah, these are close close friends yes because they're they're fellow bridge burners and if you've ever ever read about the bonds of brotherhood of people in the military a lot of them say it's closer than family 
yes. because you put your life in their hands and you have to That's trust right. each other, you know? So you can imagine if you get in that mindset and all of a sudden a ton of the people that you care that deeply about get killed instantaneously, that's got to be a real yeah. hard situation to deal with. That's like about what, 98% of the bridge burners wiped out, if yeah. not 99% of them, just small, middling, uh, 30-something people left. Refuse to allow them to get help either, right? I know it. Why, yes. Mm -hmm. It's awful. <sighs> After a minute of silence, Whiskey Jack nods to himself as if he has made a decision and tells Quick Ben to tell Tattersale about sorry. Quick Ben looks uneasy and looks to Kalam for support, but Kalam looks away. <laughs> Whiskey Jack asserts, now wizard. <laughs> Quick Ben asks if she remembers sorry. Tattersall barks a laugh and says she is a hard one to forget. Yeah. She has an odd sense about her. She is dangerous. Tattersall wants to tell the bridge burners about her fatid reading, that the virgin of death is more than likely sorry. But Tattersall still does not know if she trusts them yet. Tattersall asks if they suspect sorry is in the service of someone else. Quick Ben reveals they know something happened in Itcocon. Sorry came from a recruitment drive in that area. Kalam says, quote, something ugly happened there at around that time. It's been buried pretty deep, but the adjunct became involved and a claw came in her wake and silenced damn near everyone in the city guard who might have talked, end quote. Kalam used some sources and said the report was odd. He used some of his old contacts. Right. Quick Ben repeats, quote, odd and revealing if you know what you're looking for. Seems a company of cavalry hit some hard luck. No survivors. As for what they ran into, it had something to do with Kalam finishes with dogs. I love that these two Seven Cities natives have a tendency to finish each other's sentences. I love that. It just shows how close these two are. Yeah. And they've been through a lot yeah. together. The familiarity displayed by Kalam knowing exactly what to do during the soul transfer ritual for Hairlock is another example of how close That's these two true. are. true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I just, He moved right into place and knows exactly what he's looking for and what he's doing. Amazing. He didn't need instructions yeah. or anything. He just got in position. That's, That's another reason to love that dude. <laughs> Quick Ben notes that Adjunct Lorne is Lacine's personal mage killer. Her arrival on the scene suggests sorcery, high sorcery, was involved in the massacre. Tattersale's fatid reading showed her dogs and sorcery. She puts it together. High House Shadow, ruled by Shadow Throne and the Rope, and in their service, the Seven Hounds of Shadow. Quick Ben tells Tattersale how extensive the massacre was in Itcocon. Tattersale wants to know what all this has to do with Sari. Quick Ben says they are pretty sure that Sari is involved with the House Shadow. Tattersale notes that since its arrival in the Fatid, that Shadow's path crosses the empires far too often to be accidental. Why should the warren between light and dark display such obsession with the Malazan Empire? Why indeed, Billy? <laughs> oh, this is where it's this is where it starts getting fun. When, when all this stuff starts mm -hmm. getting revealed, I love it. Kalam says the warren of Shadow only appeared after the Emperor's assassination. Shadow Throne and Cotillion were unheard of before Kelonved and Dancer's deaths. That the disagreement between Shadow and Lacine seems personal. Tattersall thinks to herself, it's that obvious, isn't it? She asks about the existence of an accessible Warren of Shadow. Mianus, the Warren of Illusions. Quick Ben says that Mianus is a false Warren, a shadow of what it claims to represent. 
pun intended. <laughs> it is itself an illusion. Huh. No one knows where the Warren of Mianus came from or who created it or why. The true Warren of Shadow existed, just inaccessible for millennia, and that the Tista Edur occupied the throne of Shadow previously. The true Warren of Shadow came back nine years ago during 1154 Burn Sleep. That's the same date as the prologue when Lacine filled the vacuum left by the Emperor and Dancer. You know what? When I hear the name Dancer... I'm always I'm reminded of a comic book I loved from the 90s called Grin Jack. And it's a, it's a city where every phase of reality at some point will come in touch with this city. Um, you have different dimensions like heaven and hell will come in contact with this at point. And like, as a matter of fact, there's a demon war because hell spills out into the streets of this city. But, but Grim Jack's nemesis was a guy named Dancer who is just as bad as Dancer is here, I think. I mean, I, I don't I don't separate them. I'm curious if Dancer from Grinjack is an influence on Dancer. You need to start a list of questions so that when you get to interview Stephen Erickson, yes. you yes. can ask I'll, him. I'll, I'm going to have to go down to the bottom and add this as my standout moments. Okay, we're going to do that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Tattersail has never heard of the Tista Edur. It's speculated by Quick Ben that they may be cousins of the Tista Andy. He claims to not have any more knowledge, but Tattersail suspects otherwise. And we can't go into too much detail on the Tista Edur yes. yet. We will definitely come back to them at a later point. Yep. Major, major <laughs> characters <laughs> in the storyline. Whiskey Jack remains unconvinced that Sari may be being used by Shadow. He puts her natural ability to kill right up there with Kalam's being a natural killer with no supernatural backing necessary. While he is stating this, he shoots Quick Ben a glance, indicating there have been countless <laughs> arguments over this. <laughs> there is one quote by Whiskey Jack in relation to this topic that struck a chord with me. Quote, she kills like you do, Kalam. You've both got ice in your veins. So what? I look at you and I see a man because that's what men are capable of. I don't hunt for excuses because I don't like to think that that's how nasty we can get. We look at Sari, and we see reflections of ourselves. Hood, take it, if we don't like what we see. End quote. That's a pretty good insight into how Whiskey Jack views yeah, humans. I agree. And, well, that's all he's ever seen. <laughs> I think it's all he's ever known mm -hmm. since he's been in the military. Whiskey Jack states, I'm no expert on demons, but I've seen enough mortal men and women act like demons, given the need. My squad's wizard is scared witless by a 15-year-old girl. My assassin slips a knife into his palm whenever she's within 20 paces of him. He continues, So Hairlock has two missions instead of one. And if you think Quick Ben and Kalam are correct in their suspicions, you can walk away from all this. I know how things go when gods step into the fray. The lines around his eyes tighten, and he whispers, I know. Again. This, this reminds me of something from a movie. You know, it does. Yeah, that's the thing about this. What movie I was it? I don't know. You, but did I ever tell you that one thing I've heard about this show, about this book, is that it was actually started as a screenplay? Yes. He was trying to sell it as yeah, a movie. So I'm yeah, curious I remember if, that, that. if he's mm -hmm. just, if it's just why it sounds familiar. <laughs> no, no, no. There is a specific movie. This is like the chair incident where we couldn't oh. remember what the breaking of the back of the chair. I'm telling you. Yes. Oh, okay. I'm getting a vision. It's. It'll okay. come to me like in three days, right. probably. Yeah. <laughs> Tattersail begins talking about stories she heard about what happened in Seven Cities. 
We hear more about the seven cities and Dasim Ultor in this little dialogue right here. Hood made Dasim an offer, the title of Knight of Death. Then something went wrong, and Dasim renounced his title and swore vengeance on Hood. <laughs> then other ascendants started meddling and manipulating events, culminating in Dasim's death. Okay, so I've been talking about how awesome the name yes. Dasim Ultor is, yes. right? Molt, every time I hear it, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have named one of my kids. I know it. I know <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah but then this guy swears vengeance on the god of death yeah i mean what could possibly possess someone to think they even have the capability of succeeding in acting on that vengeance you know I, the crazy thing is is that knowing what i know it's like i think is dasim is apparently the only dude bad enough to do it i mean but it's like i don't i, I yeah it's how do you defeat the god of death i mean you know, do you kill him? Do you assume yeah. his role or is it just, is it matter? I mean, is that's the one thing about where does he go if you yeah, kill him? And that's the other funny thing about this, you know, especially because hood is so disinterested. It's not like he's actively participating in death. It's just that the dead go to his world. <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. they just fall through. And... Yeah. You mentioned they, they come to yeah. him. So he doesn't have to yeah. work hard. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be the easiest ascendancy job, I guess, but getting it was probably pretty hard. I don't know. <laughs> Tattersale understands that Whiskey Jack was there in Seven Cities when gods entered the fray, and he wants to try and stop this kind of thing from happening again. She thinks, because there are some things in life that you can go through only once. Tattersale agrees that if Shadow has claimed the girl, Hairlock will find the evidence. Whiskey Jack asks if she is going to walk away from this. Tattersale affirms that she is with the bridge burners all the way. She says, the only death I fear is dying Ooh, ignorance. Nicely said. <laughs> mm -hmm. She thinks to herself that the bridge burners have a way of bringing out the best or maybe the worst in her. <laughs> they do that with everybody that they yeah. interact with. And it is really amazing what humanity is capable of with the right guidance and leadership. And the way the bridge burners are written throughout these books really mm. shows this. They aren't perfect. They have flaws like all of us. But they do what right? needs to be done. And, you know, I think that's one of the part of the, you know, there's so many joys to this series, I find. But one of them is the fact that the bridge burners are so human. I mean, like I said, we, we've talked about this in, in previous episodes, how so many of our high fantasy characters are, you know, beautiful people, very shallow. It's nothing, there's nothing to them. But these people, they're very real. They're very just gritty. They're nitty gritty heroes. They're street level folks that, you know, they're, they're the people that you and I work with. You know, they're just... They're just real. They're real folks. And it's part that's really a joyful part is discovering these characters in this series, I think. Agreed. We turn to Fiddler, who has been uneasy during this whole meeting. Whiskey Jack asks him what's on his mind. When asked, we learn that Fiddler gets feelings whenever things might be about to go sideways. It was one of his feelings that saved the handful of bridge burners that survived the collapse in the tunnels under Pale. He is a natural talent meaning he is aware of magic and magic-related events that may affect him. Tattersall thinks this is an extremely rare trait. Yeah, that's, I, I would assume that it is, because it, I'm assuming that most folks either seek to become magic users or just automatically have a natural affinity to it. But for him to just have this natural ability, this wild talent must be right. kind of unusual to see in that world. There's a few people that have it, and they call them adepts, yes. yeah. right? I think I that's think, right. Yeah. Tattersale says she thinks that they should listen to him, then asks where Sari is right now. <laughs> this makes the bridge burners all spring into action. Whiskey Jack tells her they lost her a couple of hours ago. 
Fiddler explains that there is a knife out there and it's got blood on it. Tattersail feels a swirling of power emanating from Quick Ben. She doesn't recognize the flavor of magic. She tells him she should know him. There aren't enough true masters in the world for her to not know him. She asks who he is and he just shrugs. <laughs> I love how cagey he is, man. Him I'm and Kalam both. They're just like not giving up anything. No, no. That's super close. I'd hate to play poker with these guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like playing with Trot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whiskey Jack tells the squad to get ready and they exit the room, leaving Tattersail alone. Cut to Perrin. Perrin opens his eyes but has no idea where he is. He remembers sitting in his cabin on the boat to Genebacus, throwing his knife into the post in his room over and over. He can visualize Topper but doesn't remember who he is. The sky is bright but there is no sun. The heat is oppressive. He hears a moaning sound but there is no wind. The ground is a flat plain made of neither grass nor earth. What, what does that mean to you? Neither grass nor earth. I don't know. Is it that's such a vague statement that you know? Is it concrete? Is it flesh? Is it? I, what is it, man? Ambiguous, I don't know. firm. Yes, ambiguous, firm mass. You know, I, I'm assuming there's swirling mist around it too, so maybe we don't really see it. But there's something holding you up. Maybe he just can see there's a ground. It's not clear what it is. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if we want to know, do we? <laughs> not really. Probably. Perrin is unable to move much. He can just look around. He notices a gate. It leads nowhere. Upon closer examination, the gate appears to be made up of naked bodies, the flesh black as if stained from peat. They're moving. Perrin attempts to get up and is immediately overcome with dizziness and falls back down. The imagery of this gate makes me think of something you would hear about from Dante's Inferno. Oh, absolutely. Very infernal imagery with that. With the gate of corpses, or, or not corpses, the, the gates of people. Yeah. And it also kind of reminded me of the Hannibal episode where the guy was making that symbol out of all those bodies in that grain silo. Oh. You remember that? Oh, dude. Yes, we just watched. Dude, we've just been watching this series. My wife had never seen past like a, but a couple episodes. Okay, and so we've been we've been doing that this past week. It's real funny that you're doing that because we just we just started season three, and I have to ask this question because <laughs> this show is so ridiculous, and I love it. Don't, I'm not saying that in an insult every way because I love Myers Nicholson. Mm -hmm. He's amazing, but uh, is Hannibal Lecter the Batman? Oh my god. I don't mean that about it's like he's the only I mean he pulls off so much crazy stuff in this show. There is no one that could do this as well as, as anyone if unless he was the Batman. I mean the way he's uh, he's he's a superhero of 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 villainy and, and he's magnificent. Yeah, he's like a James Bond show. villain. Yeah, he's, he's that's the first time I saw him was Casino Royale. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's true. He, 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 he is a Bond villain. Yeah, he, yeah, he's, he's yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's, but yeah, I love. But that's so funny. But I had to, I asked that question. I was like, oh, is he? The Why Batman? didn't you ask that during the Batman vs Superman debate, Billy? I did. It didn't come drop up so drop much the ball. <laughs> I know it. I know it. <laughs> well, that, that, I guess I guess in the Batman Superman debate, I should have asked, is the Joker Batman? Oh no! <laughs> but the Joker's too chaotic. You know, Hannibal is like, I don't know. Is he lawful evil? He has his own. Yes. He has a code his, of conduct he, that he abides by. Yes. 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 Lawful evil. I do know that. Mm -hmm. And I, I know I would probably be killed by him because I talk entirely too much and that would be rude in his eyes, I think. Mm -hmm. So he would probably kill me. <laughs> what a character, man. Dude, it's a great character. I love that show. Yeah.
there's too much of the the visual stuff with will and the deer and all that kind of stuff that kind of got old that, for me after a it, while it does yeah but we're, we're on season three and three is so strange it's like the first few episodes are like it's so surreal it's like what's going on here because they they the way they've blended this universe to accommodate all of the hannibal previous hannibal stuff they they do wrap it around here but they just leave out clarice i think completely mm-hmm. and uh very interesting. Very interestingly done, but it's mostly because Mickelson is so great, dude. Yeah, he's a great actor. He's a great actor. Okay, we're going to stop after this one last comment on that show. Okay. That show has one of the, the craziest visual images that I've ever seen. The the guy that was making the, the strings for the violas oh, and the oh, yeah. cellos and the yeah. violins. Oh, yeah. He, when he was playing that guy's throat, <laughs> that... I I don't know what it was about that scene, man. It got me. There's a bunch of in that in that show that this really gets me. The Angel Maker. Do you remember that one? Where it's like at the flesh, and and he's got them praying to him while he's asleep. That's that's truly remarkably disturbing. Mm -hmm. For and that was that was network television. Yeah, it was. What what uh, channel was that on? Was it FX? NBC. Wow. NBC. Yeah, and what's funny is like this is the same people that did the Constantine show, and they they canceled Constantine about halfway through season one mm-hmm. and uh but it was the same people and it was such a good show i was so disappointed but what they did was fantastic though and it's just so morbid for for regular television i was just blown away by that yeah it's more morbid than any horror movie i've ever seen and i th- i thrived on morbid stuff for years I, I okay i i know i said that was the last thing i was gonna say but <laughs> did you ever see that show millennium i no i, I take it back i've seen it but it's been so long i can barely that was close it to this okay to in okay. terms of kind of the subject matter that that was there okay. and that was much earlier that was early 2000s i want to say because that was right after i think chris carter was the guy that did x-files right he did millennium yeah okay and he did that after the x-files i think well and i hate i hate to jump one more again but there's a great <laughs> new show on amazon called the devil's hour okay it's a six it's six episodes and this is, I will say one thing about the show, and it's like, this guy is in, is in custody from the police, and this guy asks him a question, are you a time traveler, or are you a fortune teller? And this guy says both. And it's, I, I don't want to say any more than that, because you might enjoy it. It's really, really, really strange, dark okay. kind of show. I think, you, I think you'd like it. I don't know how to describe it. It's not particularly gruesome or particularly vulgar, but it's very deep and very weird. And we really, we, we watched it in two days. It was so good. Okay. I can't keep going because there's another one that I, I want to talk about. We'll just, <laughs> you and I could go for hours. Let's just, okay. We're going to reel it. Along. We're going to bring it back. Okay. Okay. Hold it back in, folks. Move along, sir. A voice brings Heron's attention around, and it's a pair of twins, a man and a woman. These twins are the deity Opon. They remark that they like Perrin's sword and that it is far more subtle than a coin. The man gives some background on the gate. There was once a cult that had a habit of drowning victims in bogs. He imagines Hood finds them aesthetically pleasing. And this confirms the gate is Hood's gate leading to the realm of death. Right. Upon explains that Perrin has in fact died. Perrin asks why he has not passed through the gate if he's dead. Upon says, we're meddling. Perrin seems to recall naming his sword on the day he purchased it, approximately three years before Pale. He doesn't say what he named the sword, but he thinks he chose the name capriciously. (laughs) 
Perrin asks what they want from him, and they say his life. They continue that the trouble with Ascendance is that they try to rig every game. The twins delight in uncertainty. A distant howl is heard, and the twins become nervous. The male says the hounds are coming to make certain of things. And we can certainly tie Perrin's assassination to Shadow if there was even a question at this point, now that the hounds are appearing here. (laughs) The male twin wants to leave, but the female twin does not want Perrin to pass through Hood's gate. The male twin says, we agreed there would be no confrontation. He remarks that the other gods who come don't play fair. (laughs) The female twin replies, then neither do we. Opan calls for the attention of Hood. An agent of Hood arrives to speak with Opan. The figure that emerges is wearing rags. It keeps changing appearance, one moment an old woman, then a drooling child, then a deformed young girl, then a trell, which is kind of like a troll, and then a desiccated Tista Andy. The woman twin snaps, oh, make up your mind. Like the trail thing, as I, I never thought about the trails as trolls. I know they're related to the, aren't they related to the Tolbukai? No. Well, I never looked at them that way. I kind of pictured him as a troll because they talk about this mane of fur on the back of his neck. Yeah, you're right. He's got the, and he's got tusks. And, and so. Tusks and thick hide. Yeah, you're right. I never thought about that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, okay. It's that mane on the back of the neck that gets me. You know, it's like a, a kind of wow. like a mohawk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very cool. The entity has settled the shape-shifting and ended with a death's head with teeth stained muddy yellow. It says the twins have chosen unimaginatively with parent. The brother twin notes this thing is not Hood, and it tells him Hood is busy. The sister takes this as an insult, and the agent of Hood tells them Hood doesn't appreciate their meddling in the natural passage of a soul to his realm. Opon counters that since Perrin was murdered at the hand of a god, that makes him fair game. The agent of Hood wants to know what Opon wants. The male twin wants nothing. The female twin wants to bargain for Perrin's life. Quote, even for the gods, death awaits. An uncertainty hiding deep within them. Make them uncertain. End quote. In exchange, she will provide another death to take Perrin's place in death. The agent of Hood says, in this mortal's shadow, of course. The agreement is made. Parent asks, my shadow? What does that mean precisely? The agent of Hood replies, much sorrow, alas. Someone close to you shall walk through death's gates in your place. I know I have this question here, but we may have to strike this. But who do you think, who takes his place? I have no idea. Curious. I guess I'll just kind of look that up separately. Yeah, we'll have to see what the prevailing theory is on that. Yeah. Okay, very cool. Perrin begs the agent of Hood to take him instead. He doesn't want to be responsible for cutting someone else's life short. Hood's agent snaps at Perrin, telling him to be quiet. Pathos makes it ill. (laughs) Talk about irony. An agent of death and pathos makes it ill. Come on. In the wrong job. (laughs) That's all he hears all the day. He's like, oh, what am I doing here? I'm dead. It's like, you know, I'm here. It's like, come on, shut up. Let's go. It's got to be old. He hears it every time, I'm sure. Yeah. Every time someone shows up, it's like, dude, if I hear this question one more time today. I'm just... It's like working the returns <laughs> counter at Fry's Electronics. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's... Speaking of the late, great Fry's, did you know that the new Jordan Peele horror movie is about Fry's Associates? No. 
What? It actually, it, it, some of the people there actually work at Fry's, and so I'm gonna have to watch that movie just because. Which of that. one is it? I've been, it's the Nope. I think the Alien one or the, whatever his take on that is, but it's his newest one that just came out called Nope. Okay. And I'm gonna have to check it out just for that. Because my friend at work watched it. She goes, I thought about you because I know that you said you used to work at Fry's. And they show the exterior of a Fry's electronics. And they show one of the guys dressed up in like the tech style, the polo with the Fry's logo mm-hmm. on it. And I'm like, oh, my word. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding you, dude. Wow. I'm not kidding you. Fry's so, lives on. <laughs> fries lives on. Hey, it lives on in the boys. And it lives on <laughs> And it lives on in Jordan Peele's mind, apparently. So it's like, all right. It, it, it lives on in our podcast. Yes, I, how many episodes we mentioned fries? <laughs> oh, my word. I don't know. I lost track at the beginning. Yep. Oh. All right. The howl sounds again. The agent of Hood is about to laugh, then stops and says, no, not again. <laughs> what? I, lo- I love that line. Wait, what? Not again? Is it is he is he saying about laughing? I was assuming the it had something to do with the the hounds. What I mean, it has to do with the howl sounds, and then he's like, "Not again." Okay, and I'm like, "Wait, why are you worried about the hounds?" But the hounds are obviously a force of nature. But even these other ascendants worry about them. That's the weird thing about the hounds. Yeah, (laughs) I guess I guess they're just primordial. We cannot talk about it. You're correct. I'm sorry. (laughs) Thank you. Sorry, I want to, but we can't. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about it three years, six months, and yes. 57 <laughs> days from now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, there we go. I'm not even sure what book we talk about them, but it's like there's some great imagery. That's in some late. Of these books. That's like book seven, that's I want to say. Yeah. Told the Hounds. Uh, Was that book seven? Told the Hounds. Yeah, yeah. that's seven or eight. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's down there. Okay. Okay. Opan and the agent of Hood leave Perrin where he's lying. Before they go, Perrin requests no final riddles, if you please, from Opan. And Perrin could give two shits that these are gods. And I would Mm -hmm. have to think that most people would be jumping at the chance to be resurrected. But Perrin doesn't want to be used. And I think this comes through with his obstinance. I I know it. And it's like he had really, uh, you know... like you and I have both said this multiple times in this uh, talking on our reread on this read through how much we've really grown to love Perrin and how much we realize he's a, a person to spit in the eye of authority uh, just all the way around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I love that he's just eager to do that. And I, if he's eager to spit in a God's eye, bring it. He's, he's down for it. Apparently yeah. <laughs> got a lot of moxie. I have to wonder, is it a firstborn thing? It could be because he is the oldest brother. He is, and yeah. I am, and, and I, I'm the youngest, so uh-huh. I have a more laid back personality than my brother. Yeah, I'm the firstborn, and okay. like I'm obstinate. <laughs> yeah, my brother is too, man. <laughs> Same thing, and I think, and I think KP's the firstborn, so she's a little more obstinate than I am. Uh-huh. I'm, more, I'm a little, I'm more chilled out, more go with the flow kind of guy. Yeah, I wonder. Like, unless you say the f bomb too many, too many times, it fries returns. <laughs> Um, we got to add this to the list of questions for Erickson. What's the question? I'll I'll scroll it down. Well, when writing Perrin and in his obstinance, is it, did you model him after like a firstborn traits? Is that why he's acting that way? A question for Steven (laughs) Erickson. Something else arrives. Perrin sees a pair of hounds and knows at once. These are the creatures that killed all those cavalry and citizens of the fishing village two years ago on the road in Itcocon. 
Perrin notes a stain of shadow separating the hounds, man-shaped and vaguely translucent. It's Shadow Throne. Shadow Throne recognizes Perrin as the one Lorne sent and that he would have thought she would have selected someone of ability. Shadow Throne tells Perrin that he at least died well, to which Perrin replies, evidently not. <laughs> Again, he's popping <laughs> off. God. Amazing. Amazing. And not not just a god, but Shadow Throne appears out of his mind. He's always laughing and tittering and giggling. I think giggling. I'm like, I always wonder where dude that guy's out of his mind. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's part of the I don't know if it's becoming ruler or if he was always like this, you know? Yeah. I don't (laughs) know. You gotta wonder. Shadow Throne is here to finish the job and kill Perrin. Perrin thinks back to what Sister Opan told the Asian of Hood, that gods can die, and they have an uncertainty about it. He says, gods can die, can't they? He emphasizes the word can. (laughs) (laughs) Something crackles in Hood's gate, making both the hounds and Shadow Throne flinch. Perrin himself is wondering at this sudden courage, baiting these ascendants. He thinks he has always despised authority. This is one of the reasons I like him so much, I think. You know, I definitely yeah. feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, but it could it's 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 fair to bring it up here again because it's you know, it's just part of the reasons that we've both enjoyed pairing this read through more than I think mm-hmm. we enjoyed him the first time. Because there's just so much to take in in these series. And and like I said, the, the great thing about the the great and I think the thing that scares people off is that you're just hooked into the middle of this. It's like you it's like, okay, here you go. Yeah. Figure out where you are and get it on. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> And people are scared of that. I kind of like that. And that's why I enjoyed it. But it's like, but it's, it, it is so nice to come back through and go through this with a fine tooth comb and find out the things that, I, that, that speak to me more each time that we read this. Right. And he, and his attitude is really one that we've talked about these past three episodes, how much we've loved him. Mm-hmm. Perrin reveals that someone interceded and left before Shadow Throne and his two loud hounds arrived. <laughs> Shadow Throne demands Perrin tell him who interceded and what their plans are. <laughs> Using Shadow Throne's insecurity against him, Perrin convinces Shadow Throne that it is better to leave him in the game so Shadow Throne can watch him. If Shadow Throne kills Perrin, he won't know who this opposed force selects as a tool in Perrin's place. Shadow Throne says he needs to speak with his companion. And side note, he's referring to the rope or cotillion here. Perrin says he wishes he could stand. Shadow Throne tells Perrin if he stands, he walks and only in one direction. If Hood comes and gathers Perrin to his feet, the guiding hand will be his, not Shadow's. If Perrin lives, Shadow Throne's shadow will follow him. (laughs) Perrin grunts and tells Shadow Throne that his shadow is getting crowded these days. (laughs) Not as crowded as someone else's, but hey. (laughs) Yeah. As Perrin lies on the ground, he promises to himself that he'll kill these hounds. Nice foreshadowing. (laughs) Shadow Throne is still talking as Perrin's consciousness fades. Does Shadow use madmen or does Shadow drive you mad? Good question. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm curious because, I mean, because Shadow Throne seems, especially when you listen to Lister read it, there's a lot of, you know, Lister does a great job with the tittering. Mm-hmm. Perrin has some random flashbacks of his life. He remembers being a child holding onto a dress as he begins to walk, running to his parents' bedroom when he had a nightmare and waiting with his sisters in the courtyard for someone's arrival. He realizes the dress he held onto was a servant's dress, the bedroom, the servant's quarters, and when they were awaiting the arrival of someone, it was his parents, people he barely knew. 
These are deep, deep memories, and they keep coming and are being seen with a new light with his present consciousness. He has a tremor of fear that whatever hand is guiding this is somehow playing with him. And I wonder if these memories served as a deeper layer for him to forsake his family. The fact that his parents were too busy managing the parent estate to take any interest in raising the children when they were young is a deep wound. I, I can't imagine what that would be like because I'm so close to my parents. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, growing in a, you know, in a cold household where that's all you're thinking about, it would make it pretty easy for you to cut your ties. If you realize that as a child, that the people that you thought that are in your memories you think of as your parents were actually the servants who raised you. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be very, make it a lot easier for you to go, hey, you know what? I'm going, I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. I mean, I think it was subconscious, right? Cause he's the one that yeah. his family's pissed at him. Like in chapter oh. one, right. <laughs> it was a gamut. Uh, parent asked him, that was the, the guard at the family estate. Parent asked him if the tapestry of parent was being used as a rug in the guards room. Yeah. Remember yeah. he doesn't have a good oh, yeah. relationship with them. Nope. I guess him going off to be a soldier didn't sit well. So parent hears a voice. It's Pickers, and she is commenting on the fact that Perrin never stood a chance. Whoever killed him was a professional. Ancy is with Picker, and he says, nobody in the ninth would have done him like this, not right here in the city. Picker touches the chest wound and notes that this is not Kalam's work. Perrin hears all of this. He's not quite sure what has happened up to this point. He faintly remembers the place that held Hood's gate. Picker is examining the body and is wondering why Perrin is still bleeding since the knife wounds are at least an hour old. Perrin's consciousness comes into the present and the pain surfaces and he screams. Ancy leaves to go get Mallet. Pigger <laughs> is the one who stays with Perrin's body. She calls out to another bridge burner that Perrin is still alive. Two Malazans guard the entrance to an old estate in Pale that is being used as the quarters for the second army. It's 3 a.m. Three bells after midnight. A figure approaches from the dark. It's Kalam. Once the guards figure out who it is, they change their tune from one of suspicion to one of respect. And I love how the other members of the Malazan military look up to the bridge burners so much. And I see it as the equivalent of Captain America showing up and inspiring the regular soldiers. Yeah, yeah. very much so, because these guys were all legendary to begin with because they were the elites for the emperor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it'd have to be a big boost to your morale. I, I don't, I'm not sure if... If the bridge burners are aware of the effect they have on people, they come in contact. But it's it's intriguing to see how people react to them. We've already talked about that also this episode, how they get this loyalty out of people and these other things that, you know, that they push, you know, something about the bridge burners is, you know, everything about them is legendary. Right. And then the stories also grow as they're told. So that kind of the embellishments that come along with that, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Add some icing on the cake. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Kalam tells them they are bringing in a body and it's better if Tashrin doesn't know about it. They assure Kalam that they didn't see anything. They were blinded by the rain for an hour during their shift. <laughs> no, <it's not>. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of bridge burners appear, two of them carrying Perrin. The soldiers recognize the rank of Perrin as a captain and wish them Opon's luck. The pull, not the push. That's right. And again, thank you for the best way to remember this, right? Pulling someone back from a cliff is good luck. Pushing them over the edge is bad luck. (laughs) Yes. That's really going to help me keep it straight. Yeah. 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 
and I, I wish I could. I wish I knew who said that. It was it was in one of the subreddits. Okay. And I thought that's brilliant. You know, it's one of those nice and th- whoever did that, thank you because that helps me a lot. Yeah, that's really really good. Because I always re- even reading it three times still would confuse yeah. me sometimes. Oh yeah, what that lady's pull? <laughs> just try, the lady's pull. Just try to pick up on the connotation of the situation. You know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> One of the bridge burners warns them to get out of the way if a young girl from the ninth shows up. She might be thirsty for some blood. The soldiers hide in some shadows nearby so as not to expose themselves to danger. Back to Tattersail's quarters, she is performing a fatid reading. She is performing a spiral pattern and has arrived at the last card. The spiral has become a pit and at the bottom lies a card with a hound on it. She senses that High House Shadow had become involved to challenge Opan's command of the game. She sees the Mason of High House Death. This was the first card she had placed on the field. You know, we talked a little bit about who the Mason was, and I think you thought it was Whiskey Jack. I know he used to be a Mason. Yeah, it's mentioned later in this chapter, I believe. I think so. Intriguing. I mean, Fiddler are talking, and Fiddler mentions That's right. It. That's right. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. The Mason is the brother to the soldier of High House Death. So I would <laughs> assume <a> yeah, <laughs> that that is Fiddler, my guess. Yeah, I think you're right. and I think that's correct. Now that, now, that we've, now that we look at it like that, the brother to the soldier. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think that'd be right. Tattersall is having trouble interpreting the layout of the cards now, almost as if a new game has begun with new players entering the fray. The Knight of High House Dark appeared in the middle of the reading, a counterpoint to the beginning and end. He still appears draconian in form. She sees the smoke from the knight's sword reaching toward the hound at the center of the spiral. Mm. (laughs) Tavisil thinks there will be a clash between the Knight of High House Dark, Anamanda Rake, and High House Shadow. Tattersall is worried that there will be no alliances between the houses. It will be a confrontation. Inevitably, a lot of people will be hurt. She notes it is rare to see such direct conflict between two houses. Tattersall sees the mason shaping a barrow. The mason will touch her directly. Is the barrow perhaps her own? She wonders whether to leave the bridge burners to their fate and perhaps flee. And I like this quote, blood ever flows downward, end quote. It does in this empire. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tattersall thinks back to when she was a child. She had a vision of war sweeping through her village. She ran from the vision, telling no one, and eventually the vision came true. She is still shocked that this still bothers her, even though it has been almost 200 years since that event. Mm. She's old, man. Yeah. The guilt from this event sits with her still. The memory leaves her thoughts, but it leaves her changed. She will not run this time. Quick Ben arrives via warn and apologizes to Tattersail for not having given her warning, but company's coming. <laughs> Quick Ben reveals that the situation has become a lot more complicated. It is again noted that this warren is unfamiliar to Tattersail. When Quick Ben tells her that things are more complicated, she knowingly smiles to herself when she asks him, Really? <laughs> Yeah. I'm always I'm worried if Quick Ben says it's about to get complicated. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Understatement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, this next scene right here, this is the kind of stuff that I love in these books. Yeah, absolutely. We cut to Whiskey Jack and Fiddler on a rooftop. 
I'm sorry. I was thinking it was something else. And then when you said, oh, no, it's these guys on the rooftop. This is magical. I love it. Yeah. So thank you. (laughs) This is the rooftop of a turret in the palace. Whiskey Jack knows Fiddler has been worried about something for days and tells him he wants to hear what it is. Fiddler tells him he just has feelings. Tattersail for one. Fiddler unstraps his sword and throws it to the rooftop, (laughs) commenting that he hates that thing. Whiskey Jack tells Fiddler, just don't forget it like you did last time, (laughs) hiding a grin. Fiddler winces, saying you make one mistake and no one lets you forget it. Whiskey Jack is laughing silently, his shoulders shaking as he laughs. Fiddler tells Whiskey Jack that he's not a fighter, not like that with a sword. Fiddler talks about having been a stonecutter, a mason. He learned the trade breaking into barrows on the plains behind Mock's Hold, and that's on the island of Malice. Fiddler mentions Whiskey Jack has also been a mason too, only he took to soldiering much faster than Fiddler has. Fiddler mentions that he had a choice. The mines are becoming a soldier, and sometimes he thinks he made the wrong choice. This comment makes Whiskey Jack stop laughing. He thinks better at what? Killing people? Sending people off to their death? Whiskey Jack asks for more information on Fiddler's feeling regarding Tattersail. It's revealed that Fiddler knows Tattersail is scared. She has old demons and they are closing in on her. Whiskey Jack says it's rare you'll find a mage with a pleasant past. (laughs) Tell me about it. Right. (laughs) Tattersail was not recruited. She was on the run and then screwed up her first posting. Fiddler notes it's bad timing her going all soft on us now. Now, this is the second time this this softness has been portrayed in Tattersail. The first time was in the command tent before the Battle of Pale by Harelock. Right. I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Is it, do you think it's in relation to like how she, do you think her softness, like her camaraderie with the bridge burners is seen as a softness? Well, coming from a bridge burner, I don't know. Uh, well, That's no, because curious. you look at it in that context, right? Uh, you would yeah. think a bridge burner, if it was her caring about soldiers, I don't think they'd have an issue with that. No, they, they wouldn't. They, yeah. You're right. They would not. Maybe it's the fact that she's running from a situation. Maybe that's what they mean by going soft on it. Yeah. Yeah. Whiskey Jack says she's lost her cadre. She's been betrayed. The Empire is all she has left to hold on to. He thinks to himself, what do any of them have to hold on to? Right. Fiddler thinks she is likely to break at any moment. And if Taystrin comes down on her, she'll tell Taystrin about the bridge burners. Whiskey Jack tells Fiddler to have some faith in Tattersail. She's a survivor and loyal. Also, not many people know, but she turned down the position of high mage more than once. Mm. Wow. Also, Tattersail is considered a master of her warren, and that doesn't happen with weak individuals. Her warren is Thier, the warren of light. Whiskey Jack asks if Fiddler has anything else. Fiddler tells Whiskey Jack that something's about to be unleashed tonight, Sergeant, and it's going to be messy. They hear thumping on the door coming up to the roof. (laughs) Enter Dujek. Climbing up through the hole in the roof, remember he only has one arm, he asked them for help with the door. Whiskey Jack asks Dujek about any word from or about Captain Perrin. Dujek replies, none. He's disappeared. But so has that killer of yours, Kalam. Whiskey Jack tells Dujek that we didn't kill Captain Perrin. <laughs> we didn't kill him. I love that. We didn't mm-hmm. kill him. <laughs> While talking... Dujek notices something and says, damn it, Fiddler. Is that your sword lying over there in a puddle? <laughs> I love it. I know for a fact this may, always makes me and you laugh when we talk Dude, about this scene. I love I this. I lost it. I lost it. 
let's just say, you know, it, it's part of what makes his story so great is these people are so real. I mean, <laughs> it's just, I mean, the, the, the dialogue between the brothers and these fun, and these guys who are, you know, like we talked about, these soldiers is so genuine. Yes. And it's just, it's just very genuine. And Fiddler's reaction is great. He, he exhales, <laughs> causing a hiss between his teeth and hurries over to pick up the weapon. Dujek says, the man is a hopeless legend. Shedunul bless his hide. That's the god of healing, right? Shedunul. That's what I, I we've mentioned I, I, it before. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Dujek says, okay, you didn't kill Perrin. So where is he? Whiskey Jack informs Dujek that the bridge burners are looking for Perrin right now. Dujek says he understands. They want to find out who would want Perrin dead. That means understanding who sent him. He informs them that Perrin was sent by adjunct Lorne, but Perrin is not a claw. He's a son from a noble family in Unta. Fiddler has picked up his weapon and put the belt back on. He's standing about 20 <laughs> paces away from Dujek and Whiskey Jack. Whiskey Jack thinks to himself that Fiddler's a good man. All of his soldiers are. Except sorry, since she isn't considered a bridge burner. Right. That's why they still refer to her as recruit, even after two years. Whiskey Jack says it could be someone from inside the circle of nobles in Unta. Nobody likes those families, not even the families themselves. <laughs> Dujek admits that's a possible scenario. He also says that Perrin is here to command Whiskey Jack's squad on permanent assignment, if he is still alive, and that the bridge burners are to head to Jerusalem next. Whiskey Jack asks if this is Perrin's idea. Dujek says it isn't. Maybe it came from the adjunct or the empress herself. Whiskey Jack asks if he can speak freely. This causes <laughs> Dujek to laugh. He agrees that it is a bad plan. Whiskey Jack says he thinks it will do just as it was intended to do. He then thinks to himself that it is a good plan if the plan is to kill the bridge burners. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dujek reveals that there is pressure from on high to disband the bridge burners. There is already an order to merge the second army with the fifth and sixth army. It will be the new fifth army. Dujek looks at Whiskey Jack for a moment, then asks him to follow him over to where Fiddler is standing. They stand in silence for a moment, and Whiskey Jack is thinking about how the events taking place here are the results of decisions made thousands of leagues away. Such is the way of empire. Always has been, always will be. Dujek tells Whiskey Jack that if he and his squad survive Darujistan, they have his permission to leave and go AWOL. Dujek tells Whiskey Jack that this offer stands for all the remaining bridge burners. Mm. This is such a revealing thing about Dujek. You know, he generates such loyalty from his men that they would do anything for him, even up to and including going rogue and trying to take power from the Empress. Yeah, I agree. Also, these three have a long history yeah. together. Dujek was under Whiskey Jack's command at mm -hmm. one point, and we see how Whiskey Jack's soldiers look to yeah. him. I have to think that Dujek still has some of that in him as well. Yeah, yeah I agree. This statement from Dujek causes Whiskey Jack to snap his head around and look at him. Fiddler stiffens with tension. Dujek simply says, you heard me. Dujek admits that he is being pushed, but he damn sure will not be left without room to maneuver. There are 10,000 soldiers he owes a lot to. Fiddler cuts him off and says, there are 10,000 soldiers saying they owe Dujek. If he said one word, Dujek warns him before he can finish <laughs> saying, quiet. Wow. <laughs> So the Empress's concerns regarding the loyalty of the army to Dujek over the Empire have been confirmed. Yes. This is the closest we have come to the feared insurrection by Dujek's army. His loyalty to the Empire is the only thing keeping this army together. Absolutely. 
Yeah, because I love how they're just real, they're eager. They're, it's like we'll do it. It's like no, we need. To, <laughs> it's like no, you put, we're gonna. I'm gonna be loyal. It's part of the, yeah. one of the things I love about Dujek's great man. <laughs> Whiskey Jack is silent. The words of Dujek swirling around in his mind. If Dujek was going to make a move, he wanted to be at his side. Whiskey Jack tells Dujek the bridge burners are far from done. Quote, fewer hands on the sword, but the sword's still sharp. It's not our style to make life easy for those who oppose us. End quote. <laughs> That's a fact. Yes. He adds that the bridge burners walking away would suit those that oppose them. As long as there's a single hand to wield the sword, they wouldn't back down. How could you not love this guy? Oh, I know it. You know, he, he's like Patton, but with a level head. And he's, you know, <laughs> he's not he's not crazy, but he has that military just, uh, I don't know what it is. Because I'm assuming he's a battlefield general. I'm assuming that's, you know, he's one of those guys that's out there with him, or he's not leading from the rear, I don't think. Who, Whiskey Jack? Uh, no, Do Jack. No, I'm talking about Whiskey Jack. Oh, yeah. I, I'm sorry. Well, do, I, I thought we were talking about Do Jack in there, but. <laughs> But I love Whiskey Jack just as well. You know that. It's like. Yeah, because this was right after Whiskey Jack had the quote about the yeah. hands on the sword. Oh, that's and then, right. That's right. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. Dujek finishes with, I hear you. He sees their quarrels arriving to take them to Darujistan and says, well, here they come. <laughs> Back to Quickman and Tattersail. Quickman informs Tattersail that the hounds have caught Hairlock's trail and are following him through multiple warrens. Hairlock is trying to evade them. Is leading the hounds here part of a larger plan, or is this uh, is this just Tattersell thinking this? You think Hairlock is crazy enough to draw them into a confrontation already? No, but I assume Q Quick Ben has about 12 possible plans for any outcomes that may arise. <laughs> and I'm assuming mm. that the hounds arriving may be one of those outcomes. Yeah, I don't know. So you think Quick Ben wanted to lure the hounds? Is that what you're asking? No, I think what I'm asking here is it was is is Hairlock trying to lure them there? Mm, I don't think so or because he when he gets back, he's kind of gloating, true. and and then when well, we'll get there. Yeah, you know, true. but but based on his behavior when he comes back in a little bit, yeah. I don't think so. I think so. I, I agree with yeah. you there. Kalam starts cursing and surges to his feet and begins pacing. Tattersall notices that even though he is extremely large, his footsteps barely make any noise as he steps on the floorboards. He appears to be gliding. Quickman is sitting cross-legged, hovering several inches <laughs> off the floor. What a sight that must be. All right. Hairlock had been on something's trail, and it had led down into the Warren of Shadow. Hairlock had gone beyond, which had caused Quickman to lose track of him for a moment. What do you think that means that he went beyond? I don't know. You know, I'm reminded of some stuff in the future in the book series where he, well, with Quick Ben and Hairlock, but I don't know. If for Quick Ben to not know about something like that, that kind of says something. That says an awful lot because Quick Ben is very, mm. very knowledgeable. We know this for a fact. He's very knowledgeable. Well, he's he, he just says that he's gone beyond, right? Right. Just gone beyond. Yeah, and, but he, 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 might he know may, he may know. Yeah, we just don't know. He's not saying. He's being cagey like usual. Yes. <laughs> Played it close. When Hairlock came back into contact with Quick Ben, he was no longer alone. Quick Ben invokes Opon's luck in hoping Hairlock loses the hounds. This causes Tattersail to wince since there are so many forces at work here. She doesn't want even more getting involved. Kalam stops pacing and asks Tattersail about what Tayshren is doing. She says he knows something has happened and he is hunting, but the quarry eludes him. He is being very cautious. Suddenly she thinks that Hairlock may be luring a hound into a confrontation with Tayshren. 
She tells everyone that it would be foolish. No, insane. Now, this is what I was – I think this is what I was alluding to uh-huh. earlier is the fact that she thinks – she's wondering this herself if they, if they would be crazy enough to bring one of these things through anywhere in the same vicinity as they are. <laughs> you wouldn't want them uh. things in the city. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah, I just I still don't think based on his reaction when the hound shows up. That, I, I I agree with you there. It's just, I, I just think it's her. She thought just thinks, process. yeah, yes. yeah. She's probably just grasping at straws, right? Because she's still relevant. She knew she's new to these people. She's kind of you know what? In a, I never thought about it till just now. But she, in a way, is almost representative of us as the reader at this point in the story, right? Because she she doesn't know. She's learning yes. things as they come in, right? Yeah, yeah. And she's mm-hmm. knowledgeable, and she's having to learn. You know, right, right. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Now there's an important note here. She says some believe the hounds are more ancient than the shadow realm itself. Now you had alluded to that earlier. Yeah. Yeah, this primordial, this pure something. <laughs> yeah. Also, power attracts more power. If one ascendant comes, others will come smelling blood. Everyone in the city would be in danger. Yes. And we have seen how devastating some of these forces are. You can't yeah. blame her for her concerns. Absolutely not. I agree. I, I share her concerns. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mallet enters the room. He's the squad Mallet. healer. <laughs> He explains that by all rights, Perrin should be dead. The wounds Perrin received were obviously fatal. The first strike was up under the heart, a professional thrust. Kalam says he should be dead, but he isn't, and asks what that means. Tattersall notes that obviously someone or something intervened. When asked if Mallet's healing skills were sufficient to save Perrin, Mallet explains that the wounds were already healing when he started to try and help Perrin. It should normally take weeks to heal from a wound this bad. That is even using magical denual healing. But an unknown factor was helping heal Perrin already. The flesh is healed, but Mallet is unsure if the issue of shock has been taken care of. Quote, shock is the scar that bridges the gap between body and the mind. End quote. Mallet explains that Perrin could be up in an hour, but there is no telling what Perrin's state of mind might be like. Denul heals both the mind and the body, but the force that healed him cared only for healing the flesh. The link between the mind and body have been severed, preventing Mallet the ability from knowing which scars to heal in the mind. He is worried about causing more damage by intervening. And that's an interesting concept that yes. healing occurs both mentally and physically. You know, it really is. And, and, and they'll address this multiple times in this series, how the fact of the forced healings and stuff like that can be almost worse than just letting yourself recover because of this mental need for you to see yourself mending. I think, I I guess is how I look at that. Right. And it makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the brain does have a big impact on recovery and just how your body reacts to things. That's right. So that's very, I love, I love that concept that it's not like you're just all of a sudden you're better. It's like, no, you're, you're physically better, but I don't know how you are mentally. (laughs) Right. In any case, Hedge has taken a liking to the brat, (laughs) referring to Perrin. This causes Kalam to curse. We're informed that Hedge picks up strays and other needy creatures. Tattersail tells the group that Perrin is going to be used like a sword. Hedge says that there was no mercy in the healing used on Perrin, only calculation. Quickben says the attempt on Perrin came from Shadow, so whoever healed Perrin is in direct opposition to Shadow. 
Now, we know who healed Perrin. Well, right. Well, it's Opon. It, it was, no. It, was, it is Shadow. Yeah. Right. So okay, that's sure. kind of a... <laughs> yeah. He's not, not not really on the right track there. Yeah. Is, is this one of the... Is this, is this a Garden of the Moonism? Well, I mean, Quick Ben may be wrong, right? He's looking at yeah. the evidence he knows. That's true. So... That's true. This confirms to Tattersall that Sari belongs to Shadow. She sees Mallet and Kalam look at each other and thinks that Sari will face some hard questions whenever she shows up again. Right. The bridge burners now need to leave to head to Darujistan. They need to know what Perrin knows, but they won't be here to speak with him. They want to leave Perrin in Tattersall's care while they leave. Tattersall's a little miffed by this. She's already dealing with Hairlock, <laughs> and now she's going to be stuck nursing Perrin back to health. Quick Ben reassures Tattersail that Hairlock will be gone for some time since the hounds are stubborn and it will take a while to shake them. He adds that if worse comes to worst, Hairlock may turn on them and give the Shadow Lords something to think about. <laughs> As the bridge burners are leaving her quarters, Tattersail begins to think about their mission to Darujistan. She fears they will all die. This leads her to think about the Mason's Barrow from the reading of the deck, a barrow which is big enough to hold them all. Mm. Yeah, that's a fact. And what's funny that in my note here above that, I I say that Opon must have healed Perrin, and it says yes in chapter nine. Tattersall verifies this. I don't know. Well, I mean, I I read back through the chapter, and I feel like the deal was with Shadow Throne. Yeah, they're the ones that that they have to be the ones that healed him. Yes, I mean the, the, we can double check it, but I'm I'm yeah. fairly certain it was Shadow that healed yeah. him because I'm not even going to check. I'm not going yeah. to check because it has to be Shadow. I'm yeah. with you. So we'll when we keep going further, we'll see if maybe maybe there was an inconsistency or something. I don't okay. Know. Yeah. Whiskey Jack, Fiddler, and Dujek watch the bridge burners transport to Darujistan arrive. They are black Moranth corals, which I find interesting given I thought it was the green Moranth that are traditionally the clan transporting the Malazans around. I, I'm not sure. Is if. If the, maybe Wasn't it in one of the earlier chapters? Yeah, I think that they, they they specifically mentioned when they when when Topper was telling, um, not Topper, but when the Claw agent was telling uh, Perrin about flying on a coral. Yeah, they spell out like a lot of the the green, what the greener transport. The you know, I thought yeah. bl- you know black are usually like just I assume black like your grunts. Yeah, you're just your normal yes. your, your Marines or whatever. You know, the first in. <laughs> Kind of bunch right. or something like that. First in, last out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure what changed on that though. Maybe this is a spec ops unit it could infiltrating. <laughs> Dujek asks Fiddler where his squad is, and Fiddler goes off to find them, assuring Dujek they'll be here. As the Maranth are landing, they fly five feet over the heads of Whiskey Jack and Dujek, landing behind them. This causes Dujek to glare at them for a moment and grumble something under his breath before he heads back to the trapdoor. And for some reason, I'm reminded of Maverick doing a flyby of the control tower and Top Gun. Now, I I, I will admit my ignorance. I've not seen Top Gun. Um, Billy. I, I, I'm sorry. This is a this is a point of the of, of contention between me and the missus. It's like I don't I haven't seen any Top Guns. I didn't see the new Top Gun. I, I, I've never new been. one's good. She loved it. She said it was fantastic. Yeah. It's like but, it's good. Uh, but I'm reminded we we can also see in the first Iron Man movie doesn't uh, doesn't the uh, uh, Rhodey uh, second Iron Man movie when Rhodey steals the suit from uh, from the Air Force he kind of buzzes the tower a little bit but um, he's, he's letting them know he's coming in but he kind of flies by him real quick I'm reminded mm. of that too real close yeah. those real close flybys always get me 
Whiskey Jack asks a black Maranth about a one-handed Maranth, five times marked for valor. Does he still live? There is no answer. Nope. I'll bring that up later. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Given the absence of a response from the Maranth he had addressed, Whiskey Jack turns his attention to the quarrel. We mentioned this before. They look like dragonflies based on the description. As the quarrel is sitting on the roof, waiting, its wings are oscillating rapidly, causing a haze of water droplets to be suspended in the air around the wings. The segment and tail is 20 feet long. And that visual of the the mist around the wings, that must look really cool. Yeah. Like when I, when I think about it. I, I do. I know it's one of those things. It's one of those small details that makes, again, that, that Erickson adds these things that make everything feel so real. It's the small stuff. Mm-hmm. I wonder why he picked dragonflies. That's such a crazy idea. It is. It's got, that's got to yeah. be a nightmarish ride. I mean, can you imagine how quick and stuff they would jerk and turn cold. and twist? Oh, and cold. Yeah, and cold on top of that, yeah. Yeah. Oof. They're talking about wearing rain capes and stuff, and they're going to be flying through the clouds. And it's, yeah. Gosh. Sounds brutal. Yeah. yeah. Whiskey Jack is looking at the quarrel and catches its eye. He nods at it, and it cocks his head, then turns away. Then his tail curls up briefly as it turns his head away. And this surprises Whiskey Jack. You think they're more intelligent than think, a simple big dragonfly? <laughs> I think so. If, 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 if people are using these things as transport, there has to be more than just simple intelligence to these things. Mm-hmm. I, w- I okay. would think. There's mention that the alliance with the Maranth and the Empire had changed the face of Imperial War. The Malazans had become increasingly dependent on the Maranth for transport of both soldiers and supplies. Whiskey Jack thinks such a dependency is dangerous, given the Malazans know next to nothing about the Maranth. Scholars think they are human, but they are always armored. Whiskey Jack can't even tell if they are male or female. The Maranth also take the bodies of their dead from the battlefield, so no one has had an opportunity to confirm whether they are in fact human. And that's, you know, this is the one race that I think are the biggest enigma that we have here. But I do know some stuff from, because uh, having just kind of, I'm still reading the Esselmont stuff, but in Return of the Crimson Guard, one of these guys hooks up with a female Moranth, and we are ensured that they are in fact human. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, the, I You know, I honestly don't remember that. The joke that he tells his friends is so that she never removed her armor when they slept yeah. together. <laughs> <laughs> some of that Marine talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Armor stayed on. So, (laughs) the Empire would be in trouble if the Maranth ever decided to turn on them. Mm -hmm. To date, the competition among the Maranth clans had remained fierce, so that is an unlikely scenario. Basically, there's so much infighting they really wouldn't be able to do anything against the Empire. Yeah, right. That's what it sounds like. It's all these 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 guys hate each other. Apparently, they'll work together on some, but I'm I'm not. We're only I'm not sure how many clans there are, how many clan colors there are, other than the few that were mentioned. The black, the red, is red. Wait, is there? There's black, yellow, or black, gold. So in this book, they mention gold, green, and black. Black, blue, I believe, does exist. Yes. Blue, blue does exist. But that's like you. You don't need. That's not confirmed until like late. I want to say like book. Seven or eight. That may be Esselmont stuff. It may have been. Yeah. Because I I remember the blue Maranth, but I I think that they're like naval. Yes. All the bridge burners, including Sari, are then gathered up to head to Darujistan. Dujek walks back to Whiskey Jack, a look of relief on his face. 
He tells him the remaining squad members have arrived and that they are all giving the recruit an earful about something. <laughs> Dujek tells Whiskey Jack not to tell him what it is. He doesn't want to know. Whiskey Jack had a momentary sense of relief that his squad had all arrived, but it's shattered when he realizes he had hoped Sari had deserted. Kalam is going above and beyond in his role as corporal, bellowing at Sari. Dujek is giving Whiskey Jack a look, and it prompts Whiskey Jack to go get control of the situation. Whiskey Jack walks over to the door and looks down. Now, the way this scene is described, I envision Sari leaning against a, the ladder, looking completely uninterested in the veterans surrounding her and berating her. Like oh. she's like probably cleaning her nails or something. Yeah, you know, absolutely. She's got. I can just imagine that. Whatever. Did you? Did, were you a Breaking Bad guy? Did you ever see Breaking Bad? I watched. I want to say two or three seasons of it. But do you remember Jesse had that girlfriend? She's the actress Kristen Ritter, and she yeah, yeah. she specializes in that whatever look, and that's who I'm <laughs> seeing as sorry right now. Is just like whatever. Doesn't <laughs> care. Good one. Whiskey Jack yells at them to quiet down and check their supplies for the trip. They all disperse, scampering away. <laughs> he gives a satisfied nod and returns to Dujek. And. It's nice to see the chain of command being honored and the respect they show Whiskey Jack by immediately following his I orders. It. I love it too. Dujek is rubbing his stump on his arm and Whiskey Jack tells him Mallet could ease the pain. Th that's using Danul right. as Warren. Dujek says it's not necessary. He's just getting old. Dujek lets Whiskey Jack know the heavy supplies have already been delivered to their drop point and asks if he is ready to fly, to which Whiskey Jack nods in confirmation. The bridge burners arrive on the rooftop, most carrying heavy packs. Fiddler and Hedge are having a whispering argument. Hedge is glaring back at Trotz, who is falling behind them. Trotz has attached every fetish, trophy, and charm he owns to his body in some way. He is described as looking like a bedecked leadwood tree during the Kanye's fate of the scorpions. I wonder what that's about. Doesn't sound fun. I don't like scorpions at all. <laughs> I hate scorpions. You know what's bad? Where I live is scorpion country. Now, I haven't seen them since I've lived here, but apparently where my folks live, because it's kind of desert, we're more semi-arid, so it's real dry here a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people where they live, friends of theirs, these are people of my parents' age that live out in the boonies, and they don't like – my parents keep their house exterminated every, every quarter. But mm -hmm. these are friends of mine that have said – I put my pants on and there was a scorpion in there and it bit me. I'm like, oh my word, I would not be living in that house. It's like, and there was one got in bed with him. I'm like, oh my goodness, I would never sleep Dude. again. It's like, oh, I, man. it's horrifying. It's like, I, when I first arrived at my job, in your there shoe. A, oh, I know what I check my, I do, I do check my shoes here. Now I've not slept mm -hmm. in. I live in an apartment and they keep it sprayed and I haven't seen that stuff. But even at my work, the previous, the previous person in my position has a can of spider and scorpion killer in my office. Mm. so like wow uh -oh, i don't like that <laughs> <laughs> i don't love I don't, that i don't i don't love that either <laughs> it's, i don't love that at all it's yeah. it makes me get water in my systems <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have to think that trots has some fear of heights or flying on these quarrels though it is noted that the bar guests have an odd sense of humor so i could be wrong what do you think you know i think i think there's some fear because of knowing a little bit about trots but I'll tell you what's, I don't know why I've gotten to where I can't hardly fly anymore. I hate it. It's like, mm -hmm. I used to love it as a kid. And it's just, I think it's just OCD and not in control of my fate mm -hmm. kind of issue. It's like, you know, I, it's like, I trust myself to kill myself on the highway better than let some guy drive me safely in an airplane. So 
Yeah. So I don't know what it is with him. I didn't know if it's an odd sense of humor with Trotz. Trotz is so hard to read anyhow. He's, he's always strikes me as kind of the, he's not simple, but he's just a little slow. Now, I don't mean like slow in like some bad way, but he's slow with, with these other fellow sense of humor. You know, he, that kind of, you know, he's just more of a, I don't know. Trotz is just so funny to me. Anyhow, I love that guy. I love all the bar cast. Yeah. He's got an interesting story arc. Yeah, he does. Mm -hmm. A bunch yeah. of these, so many of these people all, I forget until we start reading it through again. You're like, I, each, so many of these people have major, <laughs> major arcs. And it's like, yeah. wow, that's, that's why we love this show, this series so much is because they're able to weave it all together so good. Kalam and Quickman are walking on either side of Sari as if escorting her. <laughs> Compared to the heavy packs of others, she is only carrying what appears to be a bedroll. The others are all wearing rain capes, and she wears a cloak, her face hidden in the shadows of the hood. Dujek asks how Sari is doing, to which Whiskey Jack simply states she's still breathing. <laughs> Dujek shakes his head and knows how young the soldiers are these days. I mean, Fiddler was that age when we first saw him in the prologue. Yeah, that's right. He was only a couple years older than Perrin, and Perrin was like 12 at the time or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah, that's yeah. yeah absolutely. Whiskey Jack thinks back on an event during the Mott campaign. Sari had just joined the Bridge Burners. Whiskey Jack watched Sari put a knife to three local mercenaries that had been taken prisoner. She went to work on their loins. Mm. Whiskey Jack shudders at the thought of what Sari had done to those three. Whiskey Jack had Kalam slit all three throats of Sari's victims. Even as they were dying, they blessed Kalam for the act of mercy. Wow. Sari had merely sheathed her weapons and walked off. Sari had been with them for two years since that incident, and she was still addressed as a recruit by his squad, and that was likely to never change. The stripping of the recruit label was an earned thing in the bridge burners, and a recognition brought by deeds. Her being in the squad burned like a hot knife at their throats, someone they couldn't get away from and couldn't accept into their ranks either. Whiskey Jack closes his thoughts out with this quote. Young, no, you can forgive the young. You can answer their simple needs, and you can look in their eyes and find enough there that is recognizable. But her, no. Best to avoid those eyes, in which there was nothing that was young, nothing at all. End quote. <laughs> Whiskey Jack has seen a lot. He's been through hell, and for him to not be able to look into those eyes is quite a statement. Absolutely. That's a horrifying thought. <laughs> Yeah. This is a horrifying thought that he's so scared to look her in the eye. It's like, wow. <laughs> Dujek says, let's get you moving and turns to look at Whiskey Jack so he can say a few more words to him. What he sees in Whiskey Jack's face as he is thinking about sorry kills the words in his throat. The bridge burners mount up and leave for Daruzistan. It's dawn and pale and two muted thunderclaps sound in the city. The first marks the arrival of Hairlock. The second comes a few minutes after the first, marking the arrival of a Hound of Shadow. This is Gear. Gear is described as being the size of a mule, its fur black mottled with gray dust, and glowing amber eyes. Gear is marked seventh among the Hounds of Shadow. Gear is on the trail of Hairlock and knows its prey is not human because no mortal could evade a Shadow Hound. Whatever it is chasing had the nerve to enter the Shadow Realm, and it is noted that between the trespass in the Realm of Shadow, following Shadow Throne, and messing with the web Shadow Throne has spun, the only answer is death. 
Gear stalks the streets of Pale looking for his prey. Eventually, he finds where the trail ends. There is a sense of urgency. Gear knows that soon he will be the one that is being hunted. Gear can feel the burgeoning of magic in the city, searching for him. He is able to elude detection for the time being, and that's got to be Tayshrin, I assume, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Because I'm I'm assuming Tayshrin felt those two entrances, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? He follows the trail to the building housing the Malazan Second. There are four guards posted out front. Cut to the guards watching <laughs> the entrance to the Malazan barracks. Two of the guards are just coming on shift. They notice the gate is unlocked and ajar. They question the two that were posted there for the night shift. Do you do you ever have flashbacks to Monty Python's Holy Grail? <laughs> I do yeah. in this scene because of the remember, remember, remember when he's you know what I'm talking about when he storms the wedding party. Yes, yes. And it's like those guys are sitting there looking at the. It's like that's what I'm imagining. Is these two guys looking? It's like wait, wait. I mean, particularly the guy that's just like. Look at that dog. You know? <laughs> it's exactly what I'm thinking about. I want to see it running towards you and then start the scene over where he's back from the distance running again. And then oh, yeah. <laughs> back from the distance. And then the third time before he's on you. Is that a yeah. special power that, <laughs> that Lancelot has? <laughs> yeah. It's called high lag. He's got, he's got a bad ping. <laughs> Oh, that's great, dude. The older of the two night guards says it's been one of those nights where you don't ask questions. The guard who asked the question says he knows the kind and tells them they are relieved of duty. The night guard gives the same warning that Kalam gave him. If they see a woman bridge burner show up to let her through and look the other way. Now, this next part strikes me as something from a horror movie. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And this is another brilliant thing for our audience to know about about Erickson is that he everything he's touched. I mean, all this stuff, it borderlines a little bit. He, he takes everything that I've ever read, I feel like, and mashed it all up in, in a brilliant way. Horror, mm. fantasy, science fiction, even. It's like all wildly blended together and, and beautifully done. Yes. I can't imagine seeing a dog the size of a mule. <laughs> It's hard to it's hard to envision. It really is. Though I did, <laughs> we went to the county fair one time, mm-hmm. and they had those tents where you can go pay like fifty cents and go see the biggest cow in the world or whatever. <laughs> right. And I think my brother went and saw the biggest horse, so I go and see this cow, and this cow was like nine feet tall at the shoulder. Oh my word! It was crazy how big this thing was. They must have been God. feeding that thing HGH. <laughs> <laughs> like, or do they, the, the, not HGH. I get, do they have cat to cow growth cow, hormones? CGH, cow, CGH? <laughs> or is it bovine growth? Oh, yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> BGH. Oh my word! So sure, yeah, let's let's do some BGH and see if we can get that. <laughs> well, what if humans take BGH? Right. I'm curious. <laughs> That's what I'm really curious about. Oh my word! It's oh, too funny. The younger night guard sees the hound. Look at that dog, he says. The older guards don't pay attention and continue their conversation. The younger guard repeats himself, finally catching their attention. The older guard looks, and his eyes widen in surprise. He curses and begins to fumble for his pike. Before the guards even get their weapons ready, gear is upon them. Mm. 
Back to Tattersail's room, Tattersail is struggling internally whether to flee or help the bridge burners. She knows the bridge burners time and time again manage to take care of their own. She stays because of her thirst for seeing Tatrin get what is coming to him. Hairlock returns from his investigations, apologizing sarcastically to Tattersail for returning safe and sound. He walks to the middle of the room and does a pirouette before sitting in the middle of the floor. He thinks he has eluded the Hounds of Shadow and is going on about how stupid and slow they are. And to that question earlier, this is what I was referring to, right? The way he's acting here doesn't yes. make me think that he was trying to lure them into a confrontation. Yeah, yeah you're right. Tattersail tells him Quick Ben is displeased with Hairlock's sloppiness. This sends Hairlock into another outburst about how he lets Quick Ben sit back and watch, thinking he has power over Hairlock, while Hairlock is able to go where he pleases. Hairlock thinks this will make his vengeance sweeter when it arrives. I just love this. I love how he's uh, how he's constantly murmuring about revenge, not just on Tatra, but the bridge burners and even Tattersail. And he's already dangerous and squirrely at best, but having been placed into this body has driven him insane. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of, I'm also reminded of, I'm my war, I don't know what, oh. Butters. Is it Butters? Is that who it reminds me of? Is what, what was his character from the, the anime? Professor oh, Chaos. Oh, it's Professor Chaos, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of that. Revenge will be mine, but there's also something else that's kind of reminiscent of, of something else. I don't, I, 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 it's another movie I'm trying to put my finger on, like where, where somebody is just like constantly talking and telling their plans, but it's like, you know, you, you know, I can hear you. It's like, it's like, he's oh, just it's another character in, in this book series. Oh, my word, you're right. It is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, and this behavior, I do feel that it's kind of part of his show. Yeah. Tattersall even knows that he's using this as a means of casting doubt in her mind. He's playing that psychological game. You know, he's a lot of bluster. That's true. She tells him to save it for Tayshrin. <laughs> From the compound below, we hear screaming. Hairlock knows he's been found by the hounds. Hairlock runs to hide in his box. As he does, <laughs> he tells Tattersall, she must destroy the hound. You've no choice. And that little shit, man, he just like immediately runs into his box and it just goes and hides there. Self-preservation, right? Just oh, it's absolutely. First I, love, I, I love his his bravado. And now it's just like the second he hears it, it's like, oh, I got to leave. Let the woman take care of the business. It's like, let her yeah. take care of it. Mm-hmm. But what does that say about him? I mean, what does that say about him telling her to destroy the hound? I mean, we have already had this one shot that that. I didn't realize on this read through the but, but the about the fact that Tattersell had passed up being a high mage, mm-hmm. and so for for him to believe her to that, he must think she can handle it, or maybe yeah, that's that's an interesting concept because the, at the mention of her being offered high mage, they had said that getting into direct confrontation with Tatrin was a death sentence, basically, yes. right? Yeah, and you have to think that she would be at least in the realm of his power level. Absolutely. If she was being offered a high mage position. Yeah. I can't imagine they'd be that far apart. No, I would think that she, I'm assuming same class level, just different, whatever her, you know, her warrant is not the same as, uh, as uh, Tayshrin's. At least I don't believe so. No, they're different for sure. Okay. The sound of wood shattering comes through from below and the entire building shakes. Tattersail hears the sounds of screams and weapons clanging and then thumps from the bodies being thrown, each one causing the windows to shake. Soldiers are shouting in the compound. She bolts upright and summons her warren, all exhaustion cast aside. 
The door creaks, then is launched off the hinges into the room as the hound breaks through Tattersail's door. It meets Tattersail's shield and is buffeted aside. The twin impacts causing it to explode. The shards of the door shatter the window, blasting the shutters open. A wave of power sweeps over her. Tattersail recognizes that the hound is old, far older than anything she has ever encountered. Its gaze sweeps the room, settling on the box holding Hairlock. It takes a step toward it, and Tattersail says, no. Gear turns his head towards her and seems to see her for the first time. His lips peel back, revealing his teeth. Tattersail thinks to herself, damn you, Hairlock. I need your help, please. Gear lunges towards her. She can barely get her hands up in time to ward off the attack. Gear easily blasts through her outer defenses and collides with her inner wards. Tattersail can feel the cracks forming in her wards, and some are able to penetrate, slicing into her arms and chest, causing her to spurt blood. Between Gear's attack and his momentum, Tattersail is thrown back against the wall, her wards cushioning her blow. She hits the wall so hard, the mortar in the bricks puffs out and causes a dust cloud around her. Some of the bricks are shattered. Gear is dazed, shakes his head, then lunges in for another attack. Tattersail realizes she is probably outmatched in this battle. She just now realizes that. Right. <laughs> Hairlock is using a chaotic warren. The warren's presence, or perhaps the wounds Tattersail received, makes Tattersail sick. Uh, you know, I guess it's probably both the pain and the, and the presence of the foreign. Because remember earlier in the command tent, before the Battle of Pale, she was almost sick from being near Hairlock. Right. When he has his when he has his, his warren pulled up. The chaotic warren that Hairlock is using is described as a miasma that churned in her like riotous pestilence. And it radiated from Hairlock invisible pulses of grainy gray shot through with black. That's an interesting color for magic. You know, yeah. you don't you don't really envision kind of a grayscale. No wave of stuff when you you know normally it's like gold or blue or right. red or something like that you know but just this gray with black flecks in it that always kind of left an impression on it me. It does. It really does. Tattersail realizes that Hairlock is reaching for Gear's soul. Wow! Told you that that clicky feet doll. Yeah. Trying he to get your soul. soul. <laughs> he wants your soul, buddy. Yeah. There it is. Tattersail attempts. <laughs> Here you go. You were right to fear him. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you know what's funny? What's that? I was talking to my mom, and her picture on her Google account <laughs> is clicky feet. Did she do that just to bother you because of us? No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. It's been that way for years. Okay, okay. I, I I forgot to like put two and two together. I just thought it was funny. That's, that is really funny. That's kind of oddly disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> I find that really weird. <laughs> no, no, she didn't do it like in that regard, you know. Okay. It was, but it was it was funny. Perrin, who has been passed out in the other room, arrives wrapped in a blanket. Tattersail attempts to warn Perrin. Perrin pulls his sword from under the blanket and buries the blade all the way to the hilt in Gear's chest, twisting the blade as he pulls it out. Mm. This causes Gear to bellow in pain. He bites at the wound as it gushes blood. That always strikes me when animals get hurt and they kind of bite it themselves yeah. where it hurts. That's kind of yeah. crazy, yeah. Hairlock screams in rage and jumps towards Gear. 
Tattersall scythes her foot and catches Hairlock midair, throwing him against the far wall. And I got to say, that's really impressive given her exhaustion, her yeah. wounds, and her bulk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could have done something like that, you know? I mean, this girl on one of the local uh, soccer teams, apparently. She's yeah. really, qu- really quick with the feet there. Maybe there was some sorceress uh, <laughs> <laughs> enhancement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the kick of light. <laughs> right. <laughs> It was like the magic missile spell, but for a foot. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> yeah. like- <laughs> Gear is wounded. He opens his warren and flees the scene. The opening of the warren is described as making a sound like tearing burlap. I like that yeah. description of it. Tattersail is astonished. Parents should not have been able to stab Gear with regular weapons. She wants to know how he did it. Perrin puts it down to luck. Hairlock hisses, Opon. He swears vengeance on Tattersell for interfering with his attack. <laughs> Tattersell tells him he'll be too busy evading pursuit and trying to stay alive. Shadow Throne is coming for him. Hairlock runs back to his box and says Tatron will be here any minute, and she will say nothing about Hairlock to him. <laughs> Tattersell begins to fade from consciousness. Perrin asks Tattersell if she hears anything. She says she hears a spinning coin. And that is the end of chapter four. I love it. Starting to get hot now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Heating up quite nicely. Oh, yes, Unfortunately, we're now going to go to a completely different set of characters. I know it. I, I, I know it. Oh. Yeah. Stick with I us, mean, folks. It's, it's totally worth it, man. It's like I said, yeah. do, not be, do not be intimidated by these. All of these characters are people I still think about on a daily basis a, a, a lot of times. I mean, really? The, I think about so many people. Kruppa? It just Krupp is not the one I think of. For some, Krupp is one that's irritating and funny. But I, it's I think of Relic of Relic Nah. Oh yeah, he's awesome. He is awesome. I love that. Dude. Yeah, and, the uh, assassins, I mean, man. Yeah, I love all the assassins in this game. Yeah, I, I love it, dude. So yeah, we have some interesting folks in Daru. And Daru just stand. I think I've told you before. For some reason, I for a guy that hates the desert personally, but I'm fascinated with it on a spiritual level like from dune i'm i love mm-hmm. the desert uh you know but it's something with the registan kind of is like arabian nights kind of reminding I, I love it i don't know what it is about it but i love i always like the stuff that happens in the registan it's real exciting real, mm. real exotic i mean it's all okay. exotic but there's something a little more ex- the city's a little more exotic than uh than some of the other cities we see the city of the blue lights yes i think that's why i think that's why it's because mm. I think about that so much. I think about the the, the gaslight and they're, they're, they had that they've been like that for a long. I don't. I, I just love that city for some reason. And there's so yeah. much crazy stuff happens in Jerusalem. I think that's why I love the city. Yeah, man. A significant portion of the story happens there. Yeah. 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 All right. Standout moments. All right. Quick Ben and Kalam speaking in tandem when talking to Tattersail. <laughs> you know, that's, I think that's the first time we really see that. I like that. Yeah. Hood's Gate, super epic. Yes. Interesting visual. And I love all of the, you know, we're also introduced to some of that, uh, we're finally starting to be introduced to some of the other bridge burners, like Mallet and Trots. We've talked a little bit about them, but we see Mallet and Hedge and these guys, and because they're also prime players, of course. And uh, I just like that we introduce these guys too, because I, I just love Fiddler, this is the first chapter where we, he has significant input. Yes. And, and he's we been see how, peripherally how, seen a couple times before yeah. this, but he, yeah, this is his yeah. first real entry, I would say. Very much so. 
And I, and I guess even for all of them, because we actually kind of sat in the room with Kalam and Quickman too. And this is, you know, where we are finally kind of getting to hear them more than just seeing them on the battlefield. We're in a more intimate mm-hmm. setting with them here. Right. I particularly enjoyed Perrin popping off to all the gods. Right. Just left and right. Doesn't even care. Just it's, it's like it's like I'm, I'm here. I'm here all week, folks. It's like he's ready to just. He's, it's like he's like a comedian all of a sudden. I'm like, wow, this guy's great. Yeah, Fiddler's sword in the puddle and Dujek's response. That is gold that's, right there. That, that's absolutely still one of the go-to moments that I when I first think of Guards of the Moon. Some of the the humor I always think about is is the rooftops. And those guys, and there's a couple of them, but that one in particular, the sword in the puddle, it always makes me laugh, dude. It's always mm-hmm. fun. Absolutely funny. Yeah. And finally, the battle with the hound. Yes. It's pretty epic. Very epic. I like how we, like, this, this, again, this series has some of the greatest fights all the way around. It's a violent series. I love it. <laughs> There's some particular battles that I think we might just have a couple hours just talking through the battles. Yeah. Oh, you know we will. Oh my word. Yeah, that's gonna be yeah, there's some there's some major and especially looking at it like we're looking at it now, I'm really looking forward to dissecting those battles. Yeah. So like, epic, some yeah. of the stuff. In this book too, there's some pretty oh, significant stuff going on. Some of my you know, again, I, I like it because it it showed me it wasn't just that it was the first, but I think the reason that it has always remained one of my faves is because of the stuff with Anamanda Rake. And Rake reminds me of it. I think I've mentioned this to you privately, but Michael, Michael Moorcock, an Englishman, had written the stories about the eternal champion. And one of his incarnations was a guy named Elric. And Elric is, you, you know, that I, I, I'm sure that Rake has to be an acknowledgement to, to, to this guy, to Michael Moorcock. I know for a fact mm. that because he's too much like him. I mean, and okay. not in his mindset, he's kinder, but the sword, Okay, you know, in particular, the sword. So I won't say anything. I'll leave it at that. We'll cover the okay. sword later. So, cool. But, All right. Do you have any, uh, any other standout moments? No, just, I, I, cause that whole, especially I'm like you, it's every, I agree with all of your standout moments. This this that whole chapter again, this, as this story builds, it's so good. And I just love that finale with that, the battle with the hound. And you start seeing these major powers coming into play and you see something like that hound, how, you know, we know Tattersail is real strong and that she's just swatted aside by this hound. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is, you know, says an awful lot. And her fear of all of a sudden realizing how ancient this thing is, it, you know, her fear right there is very palpable in that scene. And I felt, and I still feel fear for her knowing what's going to happen. <laughs> right. And to put her, that power level in perspective, think of what the mages were capable of during that battle. Yes. Against Moonspawn. And then this hound is able to swat one of those mages aside like she's nothing. Yes. That's very. That's, that's an escalation. Yeah. Yes. And I, if I'm not mistaken, it's just all escalation. That's why I love this it is. series. The and series never, is nothing but escalation. Like, how, how can it get more epic? And it does. Every it does. time. Trust me, folks. It does. How, each how? And every time. <laughs> it does. It just does. Yeah. It's Erickson. All right. You you got any uh, final thoughts? No, just great episode and really, really dig it, man. Dig, dig that yeah, we're finally digging tonight. in deep in this. Yeah, great job, man. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, Billy. Hey, and we'll see everybody evening. next week. Yeah. yeah have thanks. a good night, folks. We thank you all for joining us today. Again, we'd really like to thank you for taking the time to be with us. And we've had a really great time talking about the topic today. If you would like to support our show, you can find us at horsefrogproductions.com. 
where you can find our Patreon link. Depending on the platform you're listening from, it may also be in the episode description. And if you'd like to contact us uh, through email, it's at contact at horsefrogproductions.com.